I didn't know my arse from my elbow, which time zone I was in, what my own name was, and why the hell I was carrying so much recording equipment with me. And welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan, and I'm here with the ever-dependable Adam. I'm back. We're back. How are you feeling? Adam, you're dependable. You're always there for me on the other side of a microphone when I need you most. And right now is one of those times. I'm still here in Belize, in the jungle, hedgehog to my right, howlers to my left, talking to you in my spooky little den without a light, just the computer lighting up my face. And there you are, just the man I needed to speak to. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm I'm waiting here, ready for this story, because it not only looks like you're going to tell a scary story, I think you are about to genuinely tell one, aren't you? Adam, I tell you what, I've been through hell this last little bit. I decided to (laughs) set myself a challenge. So I basically had the idea to come to Belize to do some more work in wildlife rehabilitation. Keen-eared listeners will remember me talking about working with capuchin monkeys in the Bolivian Amazon. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to come to Belize and work in some primate rehabilitation there. I needed to fly from Morocco because that's where I was with WAGs. So I constructed online using various flight aggregating software this journey that took place across many different flights, many different hours, many different continents, and brought me to Belize from Fez Airport via a real process, mate. And I want to talk to you about it now. You know, Looking at the title of this episode might reveal to you something akin to the fact that it was a very long flight. (laughs) How many planes are we talking? The whole journey. Shall I just lay it out for you just in its most basic form? And then you can sort of decipher and we can kind of pick through the pieces of that. So I flew. Mm -hmm. So I flew first from Fez to Venice, where there was a layover. Then from Venice to Berlin, where there was a layover. Then from Berlin to Florida, (laughs) you guessed it, tropologists, there was a layover there as well. (laughs) Then from Fort Lauderdale in Florida, I flew to Cancun, where I took a series of buses and then got from Cancun to Belize, where I've arrived, where I'm at now. The whole process, mate, was absolutely crazy. Let me start from the very beginning. I bet you didn't know which way was up and which way was down, did you? I didn't know my arse from my elbow, which time zone I was in, what my own name was, and why the hell I was carrying so much recording equipment with me. <laughs> so let me, let me start from the very beginning, mate. So what happened was, it was kind of daytime in Casablanca. Wags was flying the next day, but I had a flight from Fez the next morning. Mm. So I had to get on a night bus to Fez to arrive at Fez for 5 a.m. to get kind of a 7 a.m. flight. Gotcha. So I go to the bus station in Casablanca and they inform me the ticket I've bought for my bus is no longer valid. (laughs) The bus ain't running. And a fight 
breaks out between the guy who taxied me to the bus station, who was trying to defend us and like protect us against scams. He was kind enough to come into the bus station with us because the Casablanca bus station ain't that safe. Yeah, right. Wow. Between him and the ticket seller of the bus who was telling him there was no bus available, they started arguing and fighting. It was all got a bit sketchy. We basically learned that the bus wasn't running. It was gone. Shit. And, and that was that. So like, we left the bus station, regrouped. It was this crazy scenario. I'd looked at trying to get a train to fares, but the train wouldn't get me there in time for the flight in the morning. So I'm there in Casablanca. I'm just like, holy shit, what do I do? Nightmare. Ended up going back to the bus station and procuring another ticket for a different bus, waiting on a different bus, all anxious, looking at my watch, thinking, God, am I going to get there in time? As with all those things, I think, you know, if you just relax and just calm down, things will work out. The bus did leave on time. It got me to Fez on time. From Fez, I had to take not one, but two taxis to the train station in order to get another taxi to the airport. (laughs) Mate, the journey's already a nightmare. I've not left Morocco yet. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, but it's it's typical, isn't it? And it's an important lesson, really, when things are out of your control, you've just got to take a deep breath and get on with it, right? You can only do what you, what's inside your control at that point. At this point, it's 6am. I'm in Fez Airport and I've not slept already for like, you know, 24 hours pretty much. Mm. So I get on my flight in Fez. It's no trouble. No worries there. Fly from Fez all the way to, uh, to Venice And that's just, you know, that's quite a brief flight, really. That's only a three-hour flight. But it leads to a a six-hour layover in Venice. Now, again, not the worst. You know, listeners might be aware of this, but six hours is about as shit of a layover as you can have because it's not long (laughs) enough to leave the airport, but it's not brief enough to, like, you know, it still feels like a fucking long time, six hours. It's like half of your day, you know? So... It was just one of those. Yeah, it's a shift at work. Yeah, it's a shift at work, a full shift, but you would never leave the airport in six hours, you know. No, too tight. By the time I get on my flight from Venice to Berlin, my flight to Berlin lands at 10 p.m. So at this point, we're pushing like, what, 40 hours of no sleep at all, really? I didn't really sleep on the plane so well. So Mm -hmm. it's already quite a long journey at this point. And I've arrived in Berlin. Now, guess how long my layover is in Berlin. Well, I've been to Berlin quite a few times. I've been very lucky to go there a few times. And I would be hoping that it would be at least 24 hours so you could get a bit of partying in. But dare I say it might be... an. It was 18 hours, Adam. 18 hours. That is, you can leave the airport and you can do some damage in 18 hours. I mean, I would not turn down 18 hours in Berlin. Yeah. My original intention was to, was to just crash at the airport and try and get some much needed shot eye, but I caved and I left and I got a little train ride to a, to a nearby sort of, it was basically a hotel mate. And and such a stroke of good luck. I bought a bed in a four bed dorm room in a hotel Mm. for like 20 euros and I was the only person in the room and it was a converted hotel room. So it was basically like a massive hotel room, walk-in shower, all to myself, 20 euros. What a laugh. It was great. Wow. That is a good deal. I don't know if I I told you this, but did you know that I was in Berlin at the beginning of the pandemic? I got stuck there. 
I know all about your goings on in Berlin, mate. You're a <laughs> big fan of the old EDM, aren't you? EDM, never. Um, but anyway, that's a that's a different, much darker podcast. Um, but yeah, I was actually stuck in Berlin. I went to check into a hostel, and the person at the hostel, the um, check-in desk, they said we're not taking any more bookings because we've just been told um, by the state of Berlin they've issued a statement to say that all communal living areas um, are to be shut down until further notice. Wow. So you've really got news of the pandemic when you're in Berlin. Yeah, yeah, and I had to book an emergency flight that afternoon. I was on the phone to family back home, and it was absolute chaos, mate, trying to get anywhere. Um, so in the end, you know, I just had to pull the trigger and do something. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's a story for another day. Anyway. Well, there you go. Perhaps Berlin is the harbinger of bad news, because as you <laughs> heard of an oncoming pandemic, I received word from the inside of my own mind that I was slowly going mad because I looked at my phone to see what remained of my journey. It was ever such a long flight, mate, because, you know, then was the meat of the trip. That's a flight from Berlin to Fort Lauderdale, and that's 10 hours across the Atlantic. You know, that was the big leg of the journey. And in Fort Lauderdale, a 10-hour layover. So you're really starting to piece together like what I've done to myself now. Six hours in Venice, 18 hours in Berlin, now 10 hours in Florida. And that was for a 6 a.m. flight. So you can't leave the airport here, mate. This is American airport. I've got to have an Esther to arrive. It's a non-sterile border crossing. I had to sleep in the airport. Oh, I feel for you, mate. I'm trying to think the reasons why. What was the priority here when you were orchestrating this trip? Just cost saving, mate. The whole flight was like £300 from Morocco to, to Cancun, which was absolutely the cheapest I could find it. Oh, I think everyone listening to this podcast would have done the same, wouldn't they? On paper. On paper, yeah. But this is the thing, mate. It gets to the point where money loses all perspective because for £340, I could have shaved 10 hours off the layover, you know? It was really like went for the cheapest, cheapest possible one. Yeah. And mm. I tell you what, in Florida, I actually had an okay night's sleep. I'll say this. If you get in there into the airport, you find a chair that doesn't have those armrests and just lay your head. I actually got a decent night's rest in Florida airport. It was an all right airport to sleep in. That's so funny. And and it is just, um, you know, the equivalent of an airport waiting room. You were just asleep whilst people were milling around you, right? Yeah. And it was late enough. You know, I arrived in Florida at 9 p.m. And my flight was at 7 a.m., I think, actually. So, you know, that's a good chunk of time where I could just kick back and, and sort of try and sleep, listen to a podcast. It wasn't too crazy busy at that time either. So I really did manage to sort of slink away mm-hmm. and get a little bit of rest. Have you only got carry-on? Yes, I'm only carry-on, of course. So that does make things nice. And I also use that carry-on as a pillow. Oh, thank the Lord. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sleeping on on kind of my back, using that as a pillow, sitting on one of the benches. Nice. Like it. Versatile. So maybe you get a sense now, mate. Yeah. How are you feeling? At this point in Florida? Yeah, what's going through your head? Are you sort of walking around looking for a coffee or are you just completely sideways? No, I tried to... I, I ordered a sandwich and it was so obtusely expensive that I almost cried. <laughs> and then I was very much tired, a little bit broken... Because how many hours are we in now, Adam? We're like kind of, I think, 60 hours in at this point. Yeah, a good couple of days. Yeah, crazy. A good couple of days. And although listeners might be like, oh, but you slept in a hostel in Berlin. You, you know, but really, 
I'm sort of like always mind on the trip at this point, you know. I've not really spoken to anyone other than airport officials. Yeah, yeah, you feel quite distant. And, you know, even though you're in these places, yeah. you're not experiencing them the way you would like to, right? You know you're just transiting through and it's kind of hollow, I think, when you do stuff like that. I was just sort of floating about at this point, I think. And, you know, then comes the next part of the flight, just a brief just a brief journey from Fort Lauderdale to Cancun. I should say each of these flights were easy as hell. Like they were all great. It was just the sheer space in between them that was problematic. So I got on this plane to Cancun mm-hmm. and I'd planned this part of the journey quite stringently. This was the part where I had to get from Cancun to Chetamal, which is the, the city closest to Belize. And that was really easy to do. You can get, there are these buses um, that run from Cancun all the way to, to Chetamal. So that was just a question of, and you know, listeners know that I was in Mexico recently. So I was really aware of these buses. So I just went to the bus station, the same bus station that I was at previously when I was traveling with that guy who I met in South America. And um, yeah, one single bus all the way to Chetamal. And that was probably the nicest part of my journey so far because listeners know I sleep so good on a bus. So it was perfect. (laughs) And when it got to the end, were you sort of motivated by the fact it was close to the end of your trip or was that almost being negated by the fact you were just so zapped? (sighs) So zapped, mate. But this isn't even the end of the trip because I arrive in Chetamal and I check into a hostel, but I've got to get up at 5 a.m. the next morning to cross the border to Belize. Oh, nice. Nothing stressful, nothing, you know, difficult to negotiate. It's just uh, so one thing after another. Crikey. I have to cross the border to Belize because I have to catch a 7 a.m. water taxi from Corozal to Sartanea, which is where this wildlife rehabilitation centre is. So at 5 a.m., I get up, walk across the Belizean border, And I'll say this to our listeners, there's a lot of conflicting information about opening times at the border and how difficult it is to cross. The border's open 24 hours now post-COVID and it's really easy to cross. Um, I just walked across the border, did all my stamps and all that stuff, filled out a few forms. And normally you'd have to get a taxi from the border to Corozal. But I just started walking and some lovely fellas picked me up and I sat in the bed of their truck and they took me and it was this beautiful travel moment where I was riding 6 a.m. in the morning after this long, long 80-hour journey. And the breeze is just going over me. I'm like in this truck bed, so crouched down like Jack Kerouac after a pint of whiskey on Highway 42. And I was just thinking, like, (laughs) this is what travel was all about. And all the way to uh, Corozal. And I arrived in Corozal, went to the Thunder uh, taxi, the Thunderbolt water taxi station, got my ticket. And there was this English guy looking kind of fairly perplexed and lost. He was getting his ticket. And I offered uh, to go and grab a coffee with him. And we had a chat and talked about our various trips and how we got there. So that was really nice. And that was kind of it, mate. That's kind of the end of the whole journey. I got on that Thunderbolt, took me over to Sartanea. I was picked up by the Wildlife Rehabilitation Centre. And then, of course, the jet lag set in. You know, I didn't sleep well the first few nights. and It was all crazy and bonkers and I'm still feeling jet lag now maybe listeners can detect somewhat of a dip in my enthusiasm but um (laughs) yeah man it was really a crazy crazy journey 80 hours of non-stop flying and layovering what are your thoughts well well I mean 
I wouldn't wish a, a trip like that on anyone, but it sounds like it was incredibly cheap, cheap enough to justify, um, you know, at least embarking on it. I'm sure that there were times in that trip when you thought, what on earth am I doing? Well, the whole time I was doing it, mate, I was actually just thinking, God, I, I love traveling, you know, like I really love traveling because yeah, how bad can anything be really? Like I love airport labyrinths these little pockets of transitional space where everyone in that airport is going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Everyone might be waiting in this sort of half kind of transitional space where they're, you know, they're sort of drifting about in between locations, but everyone's headed somewhere and it's just beautiful. I think the vibes in airports is absolutely astonishing. And, you know, as difficult and as dirty and as bonkers and as, challenging and as thought-provoking as travel often is aren't we so privileged just to be able to do it i'd rather be in that airport for eight hours than at a desk for eight hours you know oh yeah yeah it goes without saying is it all starting to sink in now though it is mate yeah i'm sort of like re-centering and, and rebalancing myself and i am you know learning an extraordinary amount of this wildlife rehabilitation center and i can't wait to share some of those adventures with the listener. But speaking of centering and balancing myself, I don't know about you, but I'd love to just sit cross-legged here next to this hedgehog and close my eyes and have a brief but much needed meditation session. Will you join me? Oh yeah, I'm there with you now. Let's go. Whee. Oh, I tell you what, I've come I've just come to with a little hedgehog kind of milling around next to me and I feel ever so relaxed. (laughs) Um, Do you know what it's time for, Adam? I don't know if you remember from a couple of weeks prior to Wags' arrival, but we announced the advent of a new feature on this podcast. And I would like to invite the listeners now to cast their mind's eye to a little place. They open the door. They look around, they see you and I sat there in a pair of chairs, making eye contact at them, and they realise that they are at the Hostel Common Room. This is a place on Tripoli Podcast (laughs) where listeners can write to us using a very succinct, very functional, very well-named email. It's tripologypodcast at gmail.com, and they can pose such questions as, Adam, how is it that you're so astonishingly handsome, yet so down-to-earth? Alan... (laughs) How come you have the profound ability to talk so much without use of a lozenge? You can ask us any questions that you like using that email, and we will address it in the hostel common room. Adam, do you have a hostel common room question for us today? I do, yeah. We've been emailed by, would you believe it, a very good friend of mine. Now, I'm just going to give you a quick background. This friend, Danny, and I, we used to live together in Melbourne. We actually lived in a hostel in Melbourne together. So we do know our way around a hostel common room. And he's emailed in, and I'd like to read it out to the listener. Let's go. So he starts off, he says, Hey, Alan and Adam, I've been listening since the beginning and absolutely love what you're doing with this podcast. The podcast has been a great way to rekindle my love of travel and all the funny anecdotes that come with it. So much of what you have shared resonates with me. I'm sure many others too. I'm a bit late to the party, but thought I would share some of my stories relating to the hostel episode. These are the ones that come to mind for now, 
but I know there's more out there in the far corners of my memory bank. It's been fun to unearth long-lost stories, so we'll share some more in the future. So here he goes. He's got a couple here. Danny says, Once I slept in a 24-bed dorm in Pai in northern Thailand, where instead of bunks, the hostel had laid down a row of mattresses side by side, barely 15 centimetres apart. The result resembled a poor man's version of a harem's living quarters, or if that doesn't conjure up enough imagination, then a dodgy opium den, to be crude about it. There was one communal bathroom and shower for the lot of us. It was cosy to say the least. The hostel was called Darling Viewpoint Bungalows, named after its eccentric Thai host, Mama Darling. I've been there. I've been to Darling Viewpoint Bungalows. I promise I have. I spent New Year's Eve there. No, you haven't. No way. Yes, I've got a story about Darling Viewpoint Bungalows. <laughs> it's all sounding too familiar, is it? I nearly set fire to one of those bungalows. <laughs> Typical. Oh my God. Yeah, carry on. Right, so, well, you, you maybe you'll be able to, to relate then, but Darling always referred to herself, everyone, and pretty much everything as Darling. Sometimes you weren't sure who she was talking to or what she was talking about, but her incredibly endearing and mother-like character created a real family feel to the place. It's fair to say this, and the dodgy 24-bed slumber party vibe certainly brought everyone who stayed there closer. Oh, my God, what a nostalgic thought of thought. Yeah, they did a huge hostel, common room, like 24 beds in those dorms. My goodness. Yeah, amazing. Well, what do you have to say about that email? Well, it's funny because we've spoken about Pi offline, haven't we? Yes. And it's... It, it's so strange, Pai, because for anyone who doesn't know, Pai is a very small town up in northern Thailand. It's roughly about an hour, an hour and a half from Chiang Mai. And uh, the road to get there is quite notorious because I think it's up and down two mountains and it's incredibly windy, mountainous road, isn't it? It's um, People often get very car sick. They're sort of vomiting in the back of minibuses and stuff. But I, I hired a motorbike and I did the whole thing on my own, which was awesome in terms of the um, the views and things like that that you that you see, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. But Pi, Pi was billed to me as the best place in Asia. Now, mate, Pi is so unique, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> when someone says to you, you should go to Pi, it's the best place in Asia, I had extremely high hopes. And now, look, yeah, I'm not in the business of saying it's not, but I do think it's completely subjective. And... You you definitely meet some characters in Pi who have been there for arguably longer than they anticipated. <laughs> Mate, it's it holds a completely unique place in anywhere I've ever travelled to. I used to refer to Pi as the travel swallower <laughs> because you know I <laughs> you'd go to people in Pi and you'd be like, oh, how long have you been travelling? Oh, three months. Oh, six months. Oh, a year. You know, and they'd be they. There'd be people in Pi who would kind of look up at you with onyx eyes and be like, I've been here for six years. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, how did, like, and, and on further investigation, it was almost always like a tragic tale of like, they were traveling around Southeast Asia with their partner and they got broken up with and then took mushrooms one night. And then six years later, they're still there. It's like bonkers. Yeah, just time stands still. Was that your experience as well? Yeah, that was exactly what Pi was like. I met many people that you just sort of uh, introduce yourself and speak a little bit, you know, your, your hostel room small talk and what have you. And and then you say, oh, how long have you been away for? And they're like, yeah, two years. Oh, where have you been? Just Pi. Oh. <laughs> 
You've just been here for two years. <laughs> All right. Pie the travel swallower, man. It never <laughs> ceases to amaze. I was actually in Pi with the person who taught me how to backpack, this sort of brilliant, handsome man who I met um, in Vietnam, in Hanoi. And he was 29 years old, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because I turned 29 very soon. Wow. Really young, Matt. Very young. Yeah, man. And, you know, I was 21 when I met him. And he taught me everything that there was to know about good backpacking. And we traveled around a little bit together and we were in Pi together. And he was taken aback by the nature of Pi, you know, the, the travel swallowing nature of the place. Yeah. Yeah, it is a strange one. I mean, I had a great time there. And I'm sure that lots of people do have a great time there. Uh, would I say it's the best place in Asia? I'm not sure I would. But, you know, you can only judge a place by your experiences in it. I'm not sure either, but I would like to put a kind of a dog ear in the in the story of me nearly setting fire to Darling View Hostel because it really <laughs> was, you know, embers were flying onto the cabin roof. So it was it's a good story, that one. I'll tell it at some point on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, do. We look forward to it, absolutely. Uh, I'll just read the second paragraph of Dan's email here because it's uh, it also relates to something we've spoken about before. He said, interesting to hear your views on when things are falsely advertised too. A couple of years ago, my girlfriend and I were traveling around Cambodia. We thought we would treat ourselves to a nice Airbnb. I know, don't judge. He's putting brackets on the island of Koh Ring, Salonoem. When we turned up, instead of finding a cozy love shack on the beach for two, which it clearly promoted itself as, we were presented with a glorified dormitory shared with five other couples. On a positive note, we had four walls and a door, And it did look directly out onto the beach, but the ceiling was communal, a.k.a. there was one roof to rule them all. Apart from the mosquito net, we were pretty much exposed to everyone else's private business. As you can imagine, it must have been hell for the other guests when I got food poisoning and spent the night tormenting them with explosive sounds of vomiting. (laughs) I'm never eating falafel in Asia again. Keep the food local is my top tip for the listener. There you go. Danny really helping his fellow tropologists. <laughs> you know, if tropology was a subject and we're all talking about the study of travel, Danny's there at the back of the class passing little notes of tidbits and tricks to his fellow <laughs> tropologists. And we appreciate that here. We like a note passer. One of our audience members writing in and, and giving some tips to our fellow tropologists. Yeah, cheers for your tips, Dan. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time to write in as well. It means the world. And, uh, you know, we do answer all the emails that come in and we look forward to reading out many more in the future. That's right, Adam. Danny emailed us at tropologypodcast at gmail.com. Other people write to us at tropologypodcast on all social media. Do you want to see a picture of Adam? as he just jaunts through life, being all handsome and brilliant and observant and intelligent and all the other (laughs) adjectives that I apply to his namesake? Or do you want to see a picture of me doing a tripological salute or kind of waking up from a hostile bed and promoting the podcast? All sorts of different things take place on the Instagram. We just encourage you to go there right now. 80-hour layovers falling asleep on tin chairs in suspicious environments, carrying only a carry-on bag, going to Pi, the land of the travel swallower, and thinking, what is it all really about? 
tripology is what it's all really about. This is the Travellers Podcast, a place where we all combine our knowledge and skill set and just learn what it really means to journey around the world. On next week's episode, I'll still be here in the wonderful land of Belize, where I'll be working with all different types of wildlife, just trying to make the world a better place. I've got to wake up in six hours' time and work with what can only be described as a tiny baby howling monkey. (laughs) So I've got to go (laughs) off to the next episode right now. And by next episode, I'll be back full force, all enlivened, awakened, caffeinated and ready to go. No sooner than next week's episode. I'm going to head there right now. I don't know about you, but I'll see you there. Bye. I'll see you there. Bye-bye.